0: Our Father, this day you've given to us. It's a day in which we celebrate the beauty of who you are, the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The God from who bef- who from all creation and before all creation developed your plan of salvation for people such as us, who have given to us life and life eternal, who have given to us your word, your will, your desires, and in that word you have given to us not only a pattern for prayer, a a call to prayer, a desire to prayer that you've put in our hearts, but you have said that you will use it for the advancement of your kingdom. As we look at your word this morning, as we think about what it means that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Allow the Holy Spirit to come and teach through your word, through words, and through our thoughts and imaginations and our rummaging through what you have to say. Therefore, may the meditations of my mouth and of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen. Well, we're going to take a look at the Word of God, Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 9, and then flipping over to Matthew 13 and looking at the parables. And let us stand for the reading of the Word of God. Pray then like this, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And if you look at the footnote, it will say, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And that great word, amen. Then over to Matthew 13. Placed in a chapter of parables, which were stories that were thrown alongside reality to help to exemplify and to amplify the reality. Where Jesus in these parables is talking about the kingdom of God. Because, or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew says, because Jews did not like to use the word God. And almost every one of them begins, The kingdom of heaven is like. The one we're going to take a look at is the one of the parable of the weeds, beginning at verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain... Then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, and gather the wheat into my barn. And then drop down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows a good seed is the son of man. The field is a world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out His kingdom, all causes of sin. And all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, and he who has ears, let him hear. And allow that last phrase, sentence, to be our sentence. He who has ears, let him hear what the Lord says to his church. Amen. You may be seated. Well, prayer, as I one of the, one of the Facebook mimes, memes I saw, I think it was even this morning, prayer is not a button to push, but prayer is a relationship to pursue. Sometimes we think prayer is a button. I just push the right buttons and God will do what I want him to do. Now, prayer is a relationship to pursue. And you see this in the Lord's Prayer as he begins with our Father who art in heaven. He begins with that relationship. The relationship that comes through his Son by his Spirit, but a relationship that brings us before Almighty God and says we are his sons, our Father. We are his sons, we are his people. And it reminds us of who we are. We're here on earth, he's in heaven. And then the first petition that we took a look at two weeks ago, hallowed or holy be your name. The first desire of prayer is that God's name would be hallowed. It would be made holy through what we pray and through what God does. Actually, if you also look at your new study Bibles at the uh, footnote, it will remind you, it's not only just hallowed be your name, but the an alternative translation to not only this, but what we're going to talk about today is let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. That takes us away from God, do this for me, saying, God, this is your desire. Go do it, please. And it reminds us we are children asking our father not those who are commanding God to do something. That's one of the issues I think we should have with the health, wealth, and prosperity because it comes across as if we're commanding God to do something. What audacious idea that is, that you would command God to do anything because we are called to be commanded by him and that. And so... After that, from from that point on, let your name be praised. Let your name be hallowed. Everything works out of that. Why do we pray? Let your kingdom come, so his name would be hallowed. Why do we pray? Let your will be done, so his name would be hallowed. Why do we pray? Give us this day our daily bread, so his name would be hallowed. Why do we pray? Forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors, so his name would be hallowed. Why do we pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one so his name would be hallowed? See, it all flows, and there's a beauty in the pattern of what he does. And in fact, even the pattern of for what we pray, we pray first of all for his will, his kingdom, and then we pray for our own needs. I don't know about you, but there are times when I start praying and all of a sudden it's me, me, my, my, what I need, what I want, what I need, and I forget. No, the first thing you do is adoration. The second thing you do is you're confessing your sins before God because you're not worthy to come unless he calls you to. And third, you want him to be glorified in what you pray, and therefore you make sure you glorify him first of all. Little lesson on prayer. Today we're going to talk about two of the prime subjects and teachings of the Scriptures. One, the Kingdom of God, and second of all, the will of God. Kingdom of God being one of the primary unifying themes of the Scriptures. So, in question 123 on Lord's Day 48 in the Catechism, what is the second petition? Your kingdom come, that is, so govern us by your word and spirit that we submit ourselves to you always more and more, preserve and increase your church, destroy the works of the devil, every power that exists, uh, exalts itself against you, and all wicked devices formed against your holy will, and the fullness of your kingdom come, wherein you shall be all in all." And then we take a look at Lord's Day 49. What's the third petition? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men renounce our own will and without disputing obey your will which alone is good so that everyone may fulfill his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in the heavens. It is those two that we are going to take a look at today. So let's take a look at the the second petition, that is the progress of God, your kingdom come. Again, this is a a crucial theme of Scripture. For those of you who took uh, Don Roberts' God's Big Picture and we worked through his book and the idea that the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That's his definition of the kingdom, a fairly good definition. And he reminds us it began all the way from the garden, where you had God's people and God's place under his rule and blessing, interrupted by the fall. And the rest of the story of the scripture is that kingdom being expressed in a variety of ways or in a movement from single parents or one set of parents, I should say, to one family to one set of parents, Abraham, to one family, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the family there, through one nation, Israel, rescued from the fall, through one king, David, who is the epitome of all kingships, to one time when the Son of God appeared and he could say, the kingdom of God is at hand, it is in your midst, it is right before you. Why? Because the king is there. When the president went over to England to visit with the queen, and there was a cat under the chair. Now that's a bad rock song. Uh, you gotta be older to understand that one, I guess. That he went and America was with him. Because he is the president of the United States. Whether you like it or not, that that's, doesn't matter. America was there with him because he's there. And that is the same wherever the king is. And then for the expansion of the kingdom in the, in the rest of the New Testament from Acts on by the power of the Spirit where it takes over and moves through different areas from Judea to, Galilee, to Judea, Samaria, Galilee to the, to the uttermost parts of the world. And Acts ends with Paul in Rome, which was, for them, one of the most uttermost parts of the world. And that is the extension of that kingdom, showing us the prayer of, God, of Jesus unfolding before them. Or you take George Ladd, who is one of the greatest teachers of the kingdom of God. And he says the kingdom of God is the kingly rule which has two moments. One, a fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and the historic mission of Jesus and two, a consummation of the end of the age, inaugurated in the age to come. That is, God is now king, but he must also become king. And out of that has come a, a phrase we use that the kingdom of God is already, but it's not yet. It is here, it is in our midst, but it's not yet fulfilled. Something like the parable of the tares, the wheat and the weeds. If if you're used to older versions, they called it tears. And that if I f- if I flow into that, it's simply my upbringing coming back, as good and bad as that was. The wheat and the weeds that they are together, and but the wheat is growing in the midst of that time, and as yet it is not yet ready to be harvested. It has to wait until that time. One of my favorite. Um, authors is J.I. Packer. In fact, what you have is a second edition of the Reformation Bible. I also have a copy of the first edition before they updated it. And all the theological notes are done by J.I. Packer. And he talks about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is used in two ways. His sovereign rule, which is universal and unbeatable. Hear that, unbeatable and our redemption redemptive relationship with his which is his grace works in our whole lives as we bow before him in repentance and trust loyalty and love it's the already and the not yet and so we live in that time and that opportunity in which we look to see a culture that is invaded by the kingdom of God and yet not turned over into the kingdom of God yet. And in the New Testament you see that John the Baptist comes and repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Not pointing to himself, but pointing to the one he knew was coming, his his cousin Jesus. Jesus comes and he says, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the time is fulfilled. And believe, repent, and believe the gospel. And Jesus even taught his disciples when, they, when he was training them and he sent them out to preach, he said to them, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is at hand. Now that would be good news to the Israelites because they were looking for the king. They were looking for David to come back in some way and throw off those rascally Romans and go back to the original kingdom that they had before and become a world power. And yet Jesus in his ministry was saying, no, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. It's the rule of God through his church into the culture. That's the kingdom taking place. So the catechism describes what his progression God's progression of the kingdom would look like. And, that's, and this is for what we pray. When you pray, that God would have a priority in our lives. So govern us by your word and spirit that we may submit to you always more and more. Or as Jesus put it in Matthew 6, but first of all, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, it's a kind of a petition that draws us away from ourself and our needs and puts foremost before us in our prayers that God's kingdom is the one that's important. My kingdom is not. In fact, my kingdom is called to be formed in a way that shows his kingdom. And so if he takes away something in my kingdom in order to fulfill his kingdom, hey, that's Okay. Because a greater end is being made. And I am simply a servant. In some ways you could say I'm simply a pawn in the hand of God to do what he wants to do. Or you have Psalm 15 which starts, O Lord, you who shall sojourn, sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And then he goes into the characteristics and you see a perfect individual and you realize, well, I'm not like that. If I took a look at my life, I'm not even close to what that's like. Therefore, there must be one who can be like that. And through him, I can sojourn in his tent, which is in the presence of God, which is his kingdom and his rule and his work. We are called to be kingdom bearers, people who bear the kingdom into our culture. We are called, as Paul would say, we are ambassadors. You ever heard of the ugly American? Tourists can be ugly Americans because they go and they make mockery of the culture in which they are working or living or visiting. And they show how mean-spirited Americans can be. Christians can be ugly Christians because we go into the culture and we don't show the fruit of the spirit. And people say, well, that's what a Christian's like. I I don't want anything to do with it. It's not that you don't make mistakes because you will. But overall, we are called to be beautiful ambassadors into a world that needs to see what the kingdom of God can do in a life and how it can change it. And that's our prayer. Lord, change me in such a way that wherever I go, I show the beauty of who you are to people around me. Secondly, God's preservation of the church. He preserves, and in, or we pray that we, he would preserve and increase your church. Someone once said that the greatest evidence of the existence of God is the existence of the church. For 2,000 years, we've messed it up. You know, in our day and age, we have all these duns. That is, those people who are finished with the church. Uh, They say they believe in Christ, but they want nothing to do with the church because they see what a horrible mess it is in our American culture. I mean, they see through the facade, they see through the teachings that aren't biblical and they go, I want nothing to do with this. And they've been hurt. Now, fortunately, providentially, I should say, it's too early in the morning, (laughs) providentially, Some of those duns are becoming undones. And they're coming back into the church because they recognize this is the existence of God. He he placed fallible human beings together to show what he can do in their lives. And that he has preserved the church over 2,000 years is just evidence that he is around and the evidence of the prayers of the people. For instance, that parable that I read, and the explanation that Jesus gave to us, that the one who sows the seed, the good seed, is the Son of Man, and this field is the world, and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and they both grow up at the same time, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels, and just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. Son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, the base reason and the people who do it. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm sure glad Jesus said that and not somebody else. Because when we talk about gnashing of teeth and fiery furnace, people say, oh, that's just old Puritanism, fundamentalism. He says, no, it's just the teaching of Jesus. That is the end for those who are sin-filled and lawbreakers. But the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you ever look at a wheat field when you're driving out in the country? For those of you who drive out in the country, you'll notice there's a whole lot of wheat, but there's also some weeds. But you know what I noticed? There's more wheat than there are weeds. And that, I think, is part of the message of this the wheat is going to grow and it's going to multiply. It's going to become greater and greater. And the wheat, the weeds will be there, but they'll never be as great as the wheat, especially at the end. That's what has caused some of us to become post-millennialists. That is, near the, by the end of the age... God is going to grow his kingdom in such a way that there'll be far more Christians than there are non-Christians. And, you know, those who come out of some other backgrounds, and especially if you're depressed, discouraged, and you look at the American New Church, you say, no, never going to happen. Well, maybe you haven't prayed for it. Second of all, this is God's will. This is God's will. Desire that there be more wheat than weeds in his world and little by little he is preserving and increasing the church in order that that may take place thirdly you pray for god's protection of his church destroy the works of the devil every power that exalts itself against you and all wicked devices formed against your word works of the devil every power that exalts in all wicked devices you pray against those in essence, what he's doing is praying First John, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil, flesh, all wicked desires, which is the flesh, and all powers, the culture in which we live. You pray against it. And you pray God would protect the church from it and that he at the same time would work through the church to deliver it. For instance, Romans 16.20 Paul ends his letter to the Romans by saying the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm sure glad he put that little word soon in there. Because people act as if it's not there. And God will crush Satan underneath your feet. Yeah, when he comes back he's going to do it. No, he said soon. Back there in 64 AD, soon he will crush Satan under your feet. That means we don't have to wait till the end. He will do it. He will protect his church and he will, pro- he will increase his kingdom as he crushes the very forces that want to crush it. And in fact, even in the most persecuted times, we have that little phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That word martyrs actually means the blood of the witnesses is the seed of the church. The blood of us witnessing to Christ by being here and talking about him and sharing him well not only with one another but with others. That is the seed of the church. For instance, look at the third world countries. June 29th, two weeks from yesterday, has been called the day of prayer for the persecuted church. And we are to pray for the church wherever it is in its persecution. Now, our persecution is nothing like the rest of the world. I mean, somebody rolls their eyes at us and we think, oh, I'm being persecuted. No. Go to Somalia, Kenya, China. Did you see in the news where the Chinese communist government Imploded the largest church, Christian church, in China the other day? Do you think the church died? I'll tell you right now, actually, because they're about 12 hours ahead of us. 12 hours ago, they were joined in homes or wherever they could to worship God and to thank them, thank him. Why? I think they have an opportunity to move out into a culture a way they never have before in home churches, in small churches. And in fact, something that's going on in our day and age that we are realizing these mega churches really don't do the work. It's in the small churches where there are friend, friendships and fellowships and they uh, can reach out to their community in that way that the work of evangelism is taking place and mission is taking place and God is building his church. May never be great in numbers, but they're great in influence. Pray for those who are witnessing. Pray for yourself as you are called to witness, to be a martyr for the kingdom of God. That's part of what the catechism is asking us to do. And finally, the fourth one, pray for God's progress. Until the fullness of your kingdom come, wherein you shall be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father and des- after destroying every rule and every authority and power. It's like the parable of the weeds where everything is harvested. And he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. He is coming. He is coming sometimes at the worst times, but he makes sometimes the worst times his best times because that's the times in which a kingdom has a way of expanding. And that's what we're calling for. Work so hard, Lord. Let it be that you work so hard that the end when we, we come to the end and we're all gathered together and we look at the video of the history and we see how you have been working throughout all the ages. We see that you have been building and building and building and building what we thought was dying and declining. But you have been at work. Progress your kingdom until you come and finalize it. The already or the not yet has become the already. That's what you're praying for. That's the second thing. Once you've hallowed his name, how do you want his name to be hallowed? That the kingdom would expand beyond your wildest dreams. As Paul would say to the Ephesians, that we are called to be with a God who can do more abundantly than anything that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in His church. To Him be the glory, both in the church and in Christ Jesus for now and forever. And that's what, that's what God, Christ is telling us to pray for. It's going to be bad. And it may get worse in America. But the beauty of darkness as in the midst of darkness, the light shines even brighter. How many of you had your power off during the tornadoes? Fortunately, providentially, I was still up in that state up north. But at but our house, it went out for about eight hours, and they turned on this little camping lantern that we had. But boy, did it light up in the midst of the darkness. In the midst of a darkness of a culture in which we live, We shine like stars, which is exactly what Jesus said we would do in that parable. We would shine like stars in the midst of it. Second petition, third petition is his providence. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or as a footnote would tell you, an alternate translation, which is a good alternate and I'm not too sure why we don't do it, except everyone has memorized your will be done. It says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here we're, we're, we're touched with the mystery of God's will. Well, mystery, nah, not that mysterious. We know God's revealed will. Psalm 19 reminds us it's in creation as well as in his word that he's given to you to us it's good it's perfect it's true it's like honey that ought to be tasted day after day he also has his unrevealed will Deuteronomy 29:29 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the Lord There's the unrevealed, things that we don't know, things that maybe when we get to heaven and come before Christ, he will show us why these things occurred the way they did. Why has history taken the turns that it did? Why did D-Day succeed and not fail as many people thought it would, but it did. And then there is what I call the unraveling will of God. This afternoon, I'm taking my, daughter, my granddaughter back to Hillsdale so she can go back to work. She likes earning money. I like her to earn money. I start here in Dayton, and I got to get up here to Hillsdale and this state line between Ohio and that state up north. It's in Michigan. And I will put in my GPS because I don't have the road map, the way down pat yet. And it will tell me, head up 75, blah, 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 blah. there you are. And I like the road map. I mean, I know where I am and what's going. And we like road maps in our life. But God doesn't give us a road map for our life. He gives us a guide through our life. We think, here's another way. Uh, 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 This is a business model. We like big, hairy, audacious goals. So we set out our five year plan, or we set out our life plan. This is what's going to happen in my life. And we got all this big, hairy, audacious goals. And God goes, Are you kidding me? Who's God here? Who's the one who man plans, but the God disposes? Who's the one who has your life? He says, you don't need a big, hairy, audacious goal. You need a big, hairy, audacious guide. And he's given it to you. It's in your brand new Reformation study Bibles. And it is also by the work of the Holy Spirit and by the work with other people. And it's the way in which God directs your life to do what he wants you to do. And that we call providence. And you don't know what it's going to be like. When I was ninth grade, junior high, I was never going to get married. I was going to be a forest ranger so I could sit in one of those towers and read while I watched to to see if there was a forest fire, a little smoke coming up that wasn't supposed to be. I thought, what a great life for an introvert. (laughs) And then I met Peg and the world changed. And so yesterday when we sat in there and I looked around at four of our seven children and all those grandchildren jumping and yelling and some of them crying. And I'm looking at him, and I'm going, whoa, did God have a different plan for me? And there were different women, ladies that I met between being a forest ranger unmarried to Peg. And I thought, this is it? He goes, no. This, And I look back and I said, this would never have worked. This would have been horrendous. I, I once knew a, a Pentecostal, young girl Pentecostal. I mean, she was jump the pew Pentecostal. She would be jumping, <laughs> swinging on the chandeliers. <laughs> and I'm going, I am Reformed Presbyterian. I went to one of her services and I go, this is so far outside of my ability to reckon anything. What in the world's going on? Well, that didn't last long. But God had different plans. He had different ways. And we are called in this petition to seek God's will. That means, as the catechism put it, that our deepest surrender should come in our prayers. Grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without disputing obey your will, which alone is good, in short, Overpower the desires and replace them with your own. I was reading uh, Proverbs 16 this morning because it's the 16th day of June. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answers of the tongue is from the Lord. He talks about that throughout this. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There is, it says, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The longer you go, the more you think back about what you've gone through. And you realize God is good. And he does direct your life, even though at times it's painful, it's horrendous. You lose that person that you thought, man, that was a person for me. And you go, oh, God says, I got somebody better for you. Just hold on. You sit in a job you don't like. You say, I got to get out of this. But God is saying, whoa, I'm teaching you a few things while you're sitting in here. And the deepest desire for you, is that your desire would be God's desires first off. First off. You know one of the chief sins of the Bible, and one that the Scriptures and the Apostles dealt with and deal with again and again? Grumbling. Grumbling. It's for that reason that people were killed in the wilderness. It's for that reason Paul writes about it. Because you're grumbling. Why? Because your deepest desires are not the deepest desires of God. And you are rebelling against what God really wants to do. You have your big, hairy, audacious goal. He has his big, hairy, audacious guide by which he wants to bring life. And then as the second part of that is our willful and a faithful obedience. So that everyone may fulfill his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Hebrews 13, great benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, that's a benediction that is more than just a word of hope. It's a good word. But it's a benediction that is meant to compel, propel, and inspire us to serve the King, to do what he wants, because he is equipping you to do what he wants you to do. And he is working in that which is pleasing in his sight. You get an idea how sometimes our prayers are so self-centered. Lord, I have this plan for today. Would you please honor it? And he goes, what? What? I'm glad you have this plan. You you know how many Google calendars God has destroyed? Because <laughs> he says, yeah, you got these plans. I know what you want to do. However, it's my will that is paramount. And I want to do some things with you. We, in essence, are asking the Lord to finish the work of redemption, which he started within us and among us and for us. And that should be our sec our third petition in the prayer because we should want to do it as the angels serve him. And how do they serve him? Praisefully, promptly, patiently, unpretentiously, passionately, persistently. I mean the Lord says, look at Revelation. He sends out his angels with bowls and trumpets and others. And he says, go do it. And they go, well, I don't know. It's not on my calendar for today, Lord. Can I I do this later? No, they go right out and do it. Even though a lot of it is horrendous and and, uh, causes harm. But they do what they are called to do because that's how angels operate. And this is what we are to pray. Your kingdom come. Let your kingdom progress. Let it progress in me, in the world. Let me be part of the way in which it progresses in the world. So you fight against that which is evil and wrong. And you produce that which is good. Let your will be done. In my life. In the life of the church. In the life of a world around us. The conclusion I have on your outline is for what you ought to pray. Learn more about God's kingdom and how to accomplish his will. Look at life this week through the prism of God's rule and reign, his progressing his kingdom, and what he desires for you to accomplish his will. Care to Seek to help others in their recognition of God's reign and his will. Remember, I said you have a guide, and that guide partly is other people, who they are and what they have to say. And lastly, share. Tell someone how you saw God at work and what the Lord is orchestrating in your life. Because this is the way you're going to hallow his name foremost by progressing his kingdom, by doing his will. And so, as a radio and TV personality says, go out and serve your king today. That's the call. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you that you are a God who is at work and you are working so well. The plan you have had from before the foundation of the world's to bring all things in and under Christ. And Father, we rejoice that you have decided and you are pleased to have us to be a part of that working. We may not always know what you're doing, but we know who you are and how good you are in your doing. We may, Lord, desire to have a road map that you have given to us a guide. Give us ears to be open to the guides that we have that are from you. Keep our ears shut from the guides that are not from you. Allow us, O oh Lord, to have the freedom and the trust and the loyalty to be able to follow wherever you call us to be and do in order that you would be hallowed Your name would be praised. You would be glorified through it all. For we are your children. You are our Father. And you are the God who desires our best and your best. And we can rest in you for we know who you are in Christ by the Spirit through your word. And we offer ourselves to you in his precious name and all of God's people said, Amen.